So on Friday the 1st of November, the church around the world celebrated All Saints Day, and our readings today reflect that to us. But where did this celebration come from? What's it really all about? Well, in the early years, when the Roman Empire persecuted Christians, many martyrs died for their faith. So many so that the church decided to set aside a special day to honour them. There were a lot of them, that's a lot of days. And in 607, Emperor Phocas presented to the Pope the beautiful Roman Pantheon Temple. Well, the Pope saw, great, I can do something with this. So he removed all the statues of Jupiter and all the pagan gods and he consecrated the Pantheon to all saints. In other words, all those who had died from Roman persecution in the first 300 years after Christ. It does seem a bit like a one-up, doesn't it, to the the Romans at that point. But that's what he did. Since then, there became even more martyrs, too many to be each given such a day. And eventually they were all lumped together into one day, which was held in the middle of the year. But in the next century, All Saints Day was changed by Pope Gregory III to today's date, November the 1st. In the 10th century, Abbot Adela of the Cluny Monastery in France added the next day, November the 2nd, as All Souls Day. And this is a day to honour not just the martyrs, but all Christians who have died. And of course we will do that here this evening at 6 o'clock. Everybody is very welcome. Sadly though, many unchristian superstitions continued. Some people, even in Christian lands, found themselves offering food to the dead, as they had done in pagan times. And the superstitious also believed that on these two days, all the souls in purgatory, that's assuming you think there's such a thing, would take the form of witches and toads and demons, and they would haunt people who had wronged them in their lifetime. Really jolly stuff. As as happens often in the church over its history, sacred Christian festivals absorb many pagan customs, that that sometimes our Christian festivals then lose their significance as a special day for us to be together and celebrate. But that's really miserable. Let's be more positive. Who are your favourite heroes in Christian history? Can you think of any whose example has inspired you? Maybe today is a good day to think about and give thanks for the many Christians from the past that you can remember people who have perhaps had an influence over you. They might be famous, they might be not. But if their life and their teaching has contributed something to yours, this is the day to remember them. The 1662 Book of Common Prayer says that this day stands for the unity of Christians of all ages, countries and races in Christ and the perfection of that unity in heaven. Well, I can't argue with that. It's exactly what it's about. So how do our passages help us to think about this today? The letter uh, to the Ephesians, it was probably written as some kind of a circular sermon. There is debate as to whether Paul wrote it or not, but we won't worry about that today. We'll assume that he did. But there's no, he doesn't have any kind of um, greetings in it as his other writings have. So there is a bit of a, a worry that it might not be by him. But it's definitely some kind of a circular sermon that was passed around. Maybe there was a a line, fill in the blank with the name of your church here, kind of a line where we read Ephesians today. It was clearly written, however, 
to show everyone the nature of the church and the Christian life, particularly to those who came from a pagan or a Gentile background. And it was to remind such Christians that Paul's theology of salvation never disowned the Jewish background from which the now predominantly Gentile church came. It would seem that the Gentile Christians filling the churches at this time were adopting kind of an easy kind of attitude, an easygoing kind of attitude to their faith, especially in relationship to the Jewish past of salvation history. That idea of um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, all those people as being really important to us. As Gentiles, they were struggling with that. Well, they weren't struggling with it, they were just ignoring it, really. We're church today. And I think sometimes, even today, if we neglect our past, we disturb the future, if that makes sense. The passage we've heard reminds us of who we are in Christ, of what happened to us when we believed that we were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes about the way that the Ephesians' faith has affected the way that they live. It's given them a love for all God's people. And Paul prays for more of that for them, that they would know even more deeply to the hope to which they were called, and not just now, but for all time, connecting them to the work of Christ on the cross, but also the work of Christ through them in the world they inhabit. I suspect there's echoes of churches that plant churches that plant churches there, in the way that we are doing exactly that. The Gospel reading we had echoes the Beatitudes from Matthew's Gospel, with which we are probably more familiar than Luke's version of that conversation that Jesus had. We call that the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, don't we? Here, this is a sermon on the plain, a level place rather than a mountain. And just as an aside, Luke always reserves mountains as places for prayer. And had we read a bit earlier, we would have discovered that Jesus had just chosen his 12 designated apostles separate from disciples, if you like, but the apostles at that point, up on that mountain. Now on the level plain, there's a large crowd, and Jesus speaks to them all, some of them, the apostles, some of them, the rest of the disciples, some of them just onlookers. We might even say they were just nosy. What's going on here then? How many of us have joined on the back of a crowd or or a group of people all looking up at something? Or what are they looking at? I don't know, but they're all looking at something. Maybe it was like that, I don't know. Jesus has the conversation and then he turns particularly and focuses attention on his disciples. I'm suspecting that he probably means more than just the 12 at this point, but I don't know. He identifies experiences such as poverty, hunger, grief and persecution as marks of the blessed and wealthy of plenty and happiness of being and being thought well of as marks of those who are not pleasing to God, actually. And I think that makes this a really difficult reading for us to hear. Why? Well, because these are the very things that our society, and perhaps therefore by extension, we ourselves strive to achieve. We kind of, we do want to have nice things, don't we? And, you know, we do all think about our pensions and how long they're going to last us and all that kind of stuff. And we do want to be happy, don't we? But Jesus explains how he wants us to relate to other people. He wants us to love our enemies, those who would slap your cheek, 
those who might take your coat. And finally, verse 31, he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. So is that the definition of a saintly life, perhaps? I wonder how that makes you feel. Last week, we baptised little Roman. And um, he is now on a journey, just as we are, to be and to become saints. If we concentrate on that idea that saints are very, 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 very good people nearly perfect people in fact, then I suspect we're missing the point. Many saints have been very bad people, while becoming rather good maybe. So St Francis of Assisi, for instance, he was a rich, profligate, idle young man with a penchant for war and its spoils. He really enjoyed a good battle. But he became, by the, bra- by the grace of God, a most humble, Christ-centred and gentle example of faith. St Augustine of Hippo, a womanising heretic, who, again, by the grace of God, became one of the church's greatest thinkers and influencers. We can compare him to those YouTubers that are known as influencers today. You must have come across those at some point. These people who go on YouTube and do some probably quite insignificant thing, really, but actually it influences a whole group of people who see their YouTube clip and want to be like them. Um, such that some of these people have, have reached celebrity status. Uh, hands up those who watch Strictly Come Dancing. We see. So who was the YouTuber last year that, um, that was famous? Which one was it? Joe Suk. So he's gone on now to be continuing to work um, in the Strictly sphere, doing the podcast. So he's doing what he did before, but now he does it with great celebrity status. And one of the celebrities doing the dancing, whose name has just completely gone from my mind, Saffron, thank you. Um, She's a YouTube person. Well, you know, five years ago, what was a YouTube person? Who knows? But then more recently, there are other people who we perhaps would determine as saints. Mother Teresa, of course, she has been made a saint now by the Catholic Church. Desmond Tutu, Jackie Pullinger, all names to conjure with. And these are truly great examples of Christian inspiration to us all. But however positive we may feel about ourselves, however strong our self-esteem, few of us, I dare to suggest, would think we are good enough to be saints, would we? Oh, there's lots of shaking heads. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you you're wrong. That's a wrong assumption. Because saints are made by God. They are a reflection of his handiwork. Saints are of his choosing, not ours. They're his choosing, not ours. Someone wrote, God's grace is there for us to grow into our calling to be saints. Doesn't necessarily mean major miracles or feats of huge daring for the faith. Our God is also the God of small things. God will not call everyone to martyrdom, but he will call each and every one of us to stand up for our faith, to witness to Christ when we're asked to, whether it be at work, whether it's in the queue in the shop, whether it's in a playground or even in a pub. God will not ask everyone to travel to far off lands to preach the gospel, but he will ask each and every one of us to provide a kindly word and a warm smile to the neighbour or some other marginalised person we might come across. 
I wonder what saintly work God is calling you to do today, tomorrow, next week, next year. And of course, what is he calling us to do in our joint calling as the saints of God, the people of God in this place at this time? So sainthood is therefore not about sinlessness, for there was only one who was truly sinless. Sainthood is about openness to God and receiving his grace. None of those people I described earlier were sinless paragons of virtue. They were real life human beings who experienced the grace of God just like we can and do. So I want to ask you now to just look around and to look at the saints of God this morning. Whether you feel it or not, that is what you are. And as a consequence, we're going to pray for each other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we follow you, help us to say yes to more of your love in our lives. Your love that reaches out to touch us in the poorest and most wounded places of our lives but also brings great glory to your name as we are changed by your grace, as we work with the choosing you have made. We pray in your name. Amen.